Hello everybody! This was quite a long break, wasn't it? Tja, to be honest, I was already close to quit this podcast entirely. But then uh, today somebody wrote me that he is missing new episodes. And I have to admit that this immediately motivated me. And now I will try it again. However, in the moment I think that I need to make some changes in the format of the podcast. So I really would like to make shorter and more frequent episodes and maybe I would like to be a little bit more personal, yeah, almost like a diary. But on the other hand I should not restrict myself here from the beginning and I will not promise also that the whole thing continues regularly from now on. I will not promise anything. I will just Try it and see how it works. So, how can I make the podcast more personal? To make it more like a diary, it would probably be a good idea to talk about what I did today. Well, I was not particularly productive because it's weekend. We have Saturday today. And so what I do every Saturday since many, many weeks is having a phone call with one of my old friends and we are both theoretical physicists and we are also both idealists so we both think that consciousness is primary and so it's quite easy for us to discuss philosophical and scientific questions and even though some people are afraid of ending up in an echo chamber if you only talk to people who have a similar mindset I personally think It makes the discussion much easier. And if your philosophy is flawed, you can also figure this out together with somebody who is sharing the same philosophy. So having some common ground to start with is, is great, I think. In today's phone call with my friend, as every time, we talked about some of the links and papers we have sent to each other during the week before. And I had sent him some papers from a biologist, Michael Levin. And we had also both listened to a YouTube video where Levin is interviewed by Chris Anderson. This is the head of TED. And this video, which I highly recommend, is called The Electrical Blueprints That Orchestrate Life. And this Michael Levin has very good evidence that the information about the body structure in an organism is not only stored in the DNA, as we currently believe, but there seems also to be some electrical communication going on between the cells in the body. And if you manipulate this electrical communication, it turns out that organisms can develop in a completely different way. For example, he had two flatworms which were genetically 100% identical, but by manipulating one of them in a special way, so manipulating this electrical signaling network which is, goes across the cells, he could make one of these uh, flatworms grow two heads uh, in contrast to the other one which developed in a normal way. So this idea of electrical cell-to-cell -cell communication sounds a little bit far-fetched in the beginning, but if you think of it, our neurons must have had some biological precursors, right? 
And indeed, every normal cell in the body also has some uh, electrical potential inside the cell, which can change over time. And normal cells also have ion channels, where in or outflowing ions can change this, this potential. And then you can, of course, also think that ions are flowing from one cell through the cell wall to an, a neighboring cell. And so this may be the basis of this communication system. Of course, the neurons later have specialized on becoming much faster and better in information transmission, and they had the axon and so on. And uh, these were much later developments. But yeah, maybe we can then think of the whole body with all the cells as a kind of communication system also, even a kind of computer. A global organism-spanning computer, which drastically affects, for example, how our embryo is developing. And Levin is even thinking that he, in the future, may be able to stimulate the regrowth of a lost limb, for example, even in higher organs, uh, organisms. So that would surely revolutionize medicine. So I, I really recommend to, to watch this video of Levin. Yeah, and after this we talked about another article which uh, a former colleague of mine has sent to me recently and which I have then forwarded to my friend. And this was an article from Stephen Wolfram. So this is the guy behind this uh, symbolic uh, computation system, Mathematica. And of course, he's also very famous for his work on cellular automata. And he recently came up with a seemingly revolutionary idea where he can derive the, the most important building blocks of physics, so uh, quantum mechanics and the theory of relativity, from yeah, graphs or hypergraphs, which are a slight extension of graphs. So there seem to be these graphs and there are some rules by which you can rearrange the graphs. And if you iteratively apply these rules, then you can get very complicated graphs from simple ones and so on. And somehow, in a way which I'm not understanding in the moment, uh, there comes up something which has the properties of space and time and yeah, quantum mechanics, all these things. So as I said, I had no time yet to, to dive into this, but it definitely seems to be an interesting field also. Okay, what did we talk after this? Ah yeah, we talked about, as, as every time, we talked about Donald Hoffman. So this is the guy with the idea that everything we experience in our normal life is just like a virtual reality game. And I have talked about this a lot probably in the past podcast episodes. So his main argument is that uh, it's very clear from mathematical uh, considerations of evolution that for an organism who has evolved to survive it's important not to see the reality out there as it really is, but in a way that simply makes it easier to survive. So you should only see the aspects of the world out there, in quotation marks, which are really relevant to your immediate survival. And so it's very, very unlikely that we see the world as it really is. And this only, uh, also holds for our scientific experiments. So even if we do for example, uh, experiments in the Large Hadron Collider, this is still 
inside this virtual reality experience, so to say. And so far we have never really looked outside. And so today with my uh, friend, I, I asked him, what do you think? So if we take this, this idea literally that we are wearing a kind of headset, well, let, let's take this as a simple picture. We have a headset which is projecting what we normally see from the world into our consciousness. And the idea of Hoffman is that someday we may be able to manipulate this headset. Yeah? To the first time really manipulate the way we perceive the true world which is out there. And this may really be uh, revolutionary. So even time and space may change uh, in such a changed headset. And so I asked my friend, what do you think, what would be the way we can really start to manipulate our virtual reality headset? Where's the place to start here? And of course, both of us have no clear answer here, but our yeah, intuitive feeling is that the best way to learn something about the world outside of the headset would be really to look at some glitches where maybe the system is uh, for a short time breaking down and thereby revealing its true nature, you know? Something like an old-fashioned TV uh, where you suddenly have a perturbation and you see some noise only and then the picture comes back, something like that. If this would happen in our normal experience, this may be a first clue where we can see, aha, there is some, some other thing which is producing our experiences. And who knows, maybe also in our dream state, we have some different connection through the headset. Yeah, it's, it's also possible that our consciousness is more receptive for other kinds of content which is out there, which is normally blocked from our perception. So this was also a quite interesting discussion. And finally, I, I read to him some uh, part of a text which I'm reading uh, in the moment. I'm reading the book How Long Is Now from Tim Frieke. And I discovered Tim Frieke just relatively recently. He's a philosopher. However, I have to say, not a very rigorous one, but nevertheless, I enjoy his book. And yeah, in this chapter, he talks about death and that death maybe is not something we have to be afraid of. It may be similar to waking up from a dream. And when we wake up from a dream, we are also not too sad that the person we have been in the dream is now not existing anymore. Anyway, in this context, uh, Tim Frieke is citing something which Ram Das has said. And he said to the uh, topic of death, death is absolutely safe. <laughs> Doesn't it give a new meaning to the word safe? Yeah, this was basically my phone conversation today. And after this, I had a little time before lunch. And there I watched another YouTube video with Bernardo Kastrup, also somebody I mentioned 100 times here in the podcast. And yeah, for example, one thing I remember from this conversation was that we in our culture tend to pay too much attention to the words when somebody is talking and we don't really try to understand what he's meaning. 
behind the words. And sometimes it's really difficult to, to formulate something clearly, and especially if the topic is more philosophical and less mathematical, then it sometimes can be easy to, to give a wrong impression by using not the correct words, or if the other person is using a little bit different uh, vocabulary. And so I when I heard this, I was thinking about another impression I personally have very often, that people underestimate how, how much of our experience we cannot at all express in words. So for example, recently I was playing around with a synthesizer on my iPad and just creating these, these strange sounds and, and changing them by uh, yeah, just turning with your finger some, some of the oscillator wheels, you, you constantly have completely different emotions and completely unexpressible perceptions. And this happens second after second if you change these sounds. And not a single of these sounds could be described by words. So think, uh, this is really a rich, a rich way of getting acquainted with your own consciousness just by playing around with such a synthesizer. And by the way, if you have an iPad or something, or iPhone, this is a, a free app even. So it's Synth1, I think, the name. Uh, really fantastic, and I could spend hours just listening to these sounds and change them. By the way, talking about the iPad, I have recently also bought for very, very small money uh, um, DAW, so a uh, multi-track recording studio on the iPad, where I now can play, for example, uh, piano and then add on this another layer with synthesizer or something like that. And of course I had something like this before uh, with GarageBand, but I simply can use different instruments here. And I recently tried it out. And yeah, this, this for example, was my very first experiment with two layers of piano on top of each other. I know there are many imperfections in this piece, but that's me. I'm imperfect. But I have to say that I like the mood in this piece. I was in a little bit happy Sunday uh, mood at this time, and I think it, it comes through through the music. Okay, I leave you with another last example where I tried out also bringing 
synthesizer and some drum machine to my multi-track recording. I hope you had fun. See you soon. <laughs>